0: break out the one on your phone, um, your mobile device, turn to Acts chapter 14. We're in this series called uh, The Church In," and we're looking at Acts and um, how the church responds to God's mission. And this is um, it's a great story of Paul and Barnabas as they are doing God's mission. I'm going to start... Um, with chapter 14, verse 8. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame, and he had been that way from birth, and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. And at that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted, in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they Tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony, he has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came up from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside of the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. So the, um, the title of today's sermon is The Church Inspired by the Gospel. We're going to talk about the gospel this morning. Have you ever wondered what kept Paul going? even though he uh, was beaten, like we read about in the story, beaten to the point where people thought he was dead. Um, what kept him going? What kept Barnabas going? What, what kept the apostles going, even though they were beaten and thrown in jail? What kept them going? Um, what moved Paul to walk thousands of miles around Asia Minor in the Middle East and what is Greece? What led him to to, to walk thousands of miles to, to these, uh, to the Gentiles, to people that he was hoping would become new believers? Why didn't they just all pack it up and say, enough is enough. This is too hard. So what inspired him? Well, it was the gospel. Um, one Concern of the gospel, or about the gospel, is that people will treat the gospel as just information, just facts to believe. Uh, give me, give me some 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 insights I can just keep in my in my head, without it really taking root in your life and and moving you and and, and creating this response in you. So. Uh, One little sentence about the gospel is this, that the gospel is much more than informational. The gospel is inspirational. If it is just informational to you, then you haven't received the fullness of the gospel. Why, Why didn't the apostles just give up, even though they were beaten and thrown into prison? Because they were completely inspired by the gospel. And even though it brought hardships to them, they knew there was nothing more inspiring in life. There's been one Bible verse that has been very helpful to me over time. It's from John chapter 6. And um, this, this chapter reports of a time when many of Jesus' followers started leaving him because he was teaching them things and it was hard to accept, um, just hard teachings. And and his followers started leaving Jesus, and so Jesus turns to the twelve disciples, and he asks them, "Are you going to leave too?" And here's what Peter says, uh, John chapter six verse sixty-eight: "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go, Lord? Yeah, you know, we see people leaving you." But we don't know where we would go because we know that you are life, your words are life. We might not even be able to understand everything that you're telling us, Jesus. And it's clear as you read the, disciples that they did, the, the, the Gospels that they didn't understand everything that Jesus was teaching them. But they knew that Jesus' words were life. Where else would we go? So Jesus offered them something so inspirational, they knew nothing else would do in their life. So what is the gospel that is so inspiring that nothing else compares um, with it? Uh, what, what comes to your mind when you think of the gospel? Just, you know, let's, let's have a few ideas. You can give me a word, you can give me a phrase. What comes to mind when you think of the gospel? Life Saving. The gospel is life-saving good. It is the good news, right? That's what the word gospel means. It comes from multiple words, meaning good and news or good message. Yeah. Anything else come to mind when you think of the gospel? Well, it's interesting. The Bible doesn't give... um, a singular, simple statement of what the gospel is. It doesn't say, this and only this is the gospel. And instead, um, throughout the particular turn to the New Testament, but also we look in the Old Testament, it gives descriptions of what the gospel is, the, the good news. Um, and so we're going to look at several of these descriptions this morning about what the Gospel is um, And by the way, I kind of like the fact that the Bible doesn't give one singular, simple little sentence of what the Gospel is, because I would expect the gospel the good news to be much bigger than that. If we could just capture it in ten words what the gospel is, it's, it's just not that big, right? Um, the gospel is is big and inspiring, and there's three things. That I want to focus on today. I think we can at least say that the gospel is the, are these three things, and they're they're very very big ideas. Um, so I'm put them on the screen. You can write these down on the your note sheet if you'd like to. The gospel. Um, think the kingdom of God is here. It's the message that the kingdom of God is here. It's the message that through Jesus Christ your sins can be forgiven, and it's the message you can repent and receive new life. Those three ideas are core, essential foundations of the gospel. And we're going to look at our Acts chapter 14 uh, scripture, and we will see these, uh, these three things. So the gospel, first, is, is that the kingdom of God is, is here. So you know that the word gospel means good news, um, What you might not know is that in Jesus' day, the gospel was not a religious word. It wasn't only used by uh, Jewish people or new Christians. Um, it, was, it was part of the vocabulary of the Roman Empire. And whenever uh, the Roman Empire would advance and take over a new city or region, ambassadors would come. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Ambassadors would come in to that new region or city and say, Good news! And they would use that word, the gospel. The good news of the Roman Empire, of, of, of Caesar, is here. Caesar is king. That was that was just normal language, in the day. Um, Jesus comes along and he uses that very same phrase. Look at uh, look at Luke chapter four verse forty three. Jesus says, "I must proclaim the good news of not the kingdom of Caesar, not the kingdom of Rome, the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent." So Jesus walks around and says, good news, but it's not the, the good news of, of Caesar. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. There's another king. There's the real king, and that's God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of what? The good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and disease sickness. So Jesus wasn't just announcing this, right? He was actually bringing in the kingdom of God by healing people. Why why was he doing that? Well, Jesus was the Messiah. And um, one of the things that people understood the Messiah to be was the King. That's what Messiah meant, the King. That's why on Palm Sunday, Jesus, how did he enter into Jerusalem? Did he walk into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? No, Bible trivia, right? He rode in on what? On a donkey. Because that was a sign of the king. That the king would come riding in on a donkey. Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah is the king. And the king is bringing in his kingdom. So he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he's bringing the kingdom of God. Um, you know, one of the more difficult things sometimes to believe, I think, is that God's kingdom is the real kingdom because we get caught up with difficulties that we face and struggles that we face. Uh, we think, Phew, man, the world is tough. You know, work is tough. School is tough. Being a friend is tough. Um, family is tough. God, I wish we Experience your kingdom more. Sometimes we have these struggles, and it's, it's a challenge. We have to remind ourselves that God's kingdom is here. We live in God's kingdom. Um, look at what Paul says in verse 15. I think, I think kind of to encourage us in this. We are bringing you good news, as the gospel, telling you to turn from these worthless things To what? To the living God. The God who is living, who is real, who is moving, who is active, who is causing things to happen. God is with us. He's the living God. He's among us. He walks with us. Paul wants us to know that we do live in God's kingdom because he's the living God that's always around us. He lives among you. You can know him, you can really know him. So the gospel is that God's kingdom is, is here, and we're, we're in it. Second thing that we said, the gospel is um, that through Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven, and junior hires, just wait, hang on, just a second. I want to get a little bit through this next point, and then I'm going to re- release junior hires to go to their Bible study time. Um, through Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven. There's something unique about this story. Um, when we look through the book of Acts, we see lots of miracles happening, right? The apostles are going out and they're, they're doing miracles. This is the only time where the townspeople worship the Christians, Paul, the church leaders, Paul and Barnabas, as, as gods. They, they treat them as gods. Why is that? It's fascinating, there was a, a legend, a local legend to the Lystra area um, that that the townspeople there would have been aware of. And the local legend held it that the gods, Zeus and Hermes, visited the hill country around where this is all taking place. That one, one time, once upon a time, Zeus and Hermes came down in human form. They disguised themselves as human beings. And they went around all, all to, you know, to these villages, and they looked for um, homes that would, households that would offer them hospitality. And they disguised themselves as human beings, and, they, and over and over and over and over again, people turned them away. They did not open up their homes to these two strangers at their doorsteps. And they went to a thousand households, and only one household opened their doors for Zeus and Hermes. It was this this impoverished old couple, husband and wife, and they opened up their home, and they they entertained. They lived in a poor little cottage, small little cottage, and they, they welcomed Zeus and Hermes in, and they entertained them. And the end of this local legend said that the gods rewarded this poor old couple. They blessed them greatly. But they destroyed with a flood all of the other homes that turned them away and didn't honor Zeus and Hermes. So pagan lesson learned. If you think the gods are among you, you better show them honor or else they might get angry and destroy you. So do you see why the townspeople, when they see this miracle from Paul and Barnabas, this, this man being healed, why they would have. So, well, we better get our act together and pay some homage to them because we don't want to get destroyed. Um, the pagan worship of Greek and Roman gods was based on fear. You better please the gods or they'll get you. And the truth is, according to the religion of the masses, you can never truly have peace with God or peace with the gods. But the gospel is, you can have peace with God. You can. That on the cross, Jesus shed his blood as a sacrifice of atonement. Look at this word, atonement at one, that Jesus on the cross makes us at one with God through the forgiveness of our sins by the shedding of his blood. The gospel is that your sins can be forgiven, not through any act of your own, but through a singular act of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you. All right, junior hires, I want to dismiss you to your Bible study. Um, The rest of us, let's look at a couple of scriptures of the apostles talking about the forgiveness of sins. A couple come to mind. Uh, Paul says in Acts 13, verse 38, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, is gospelized to you. Peter, the apostle Peter, says in Acts chapter 10, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You can have peace with God. This means you never have to fear that God is looking on you as an enemy. You know, when difficulties come your way, you don't have to interpret those difficulties as, "Wow, well, God must be mad at me, or God must be getting even with me. Um, you don't have to think, boy, what... Goes around, comes around. We have, we have a, a word, or there's there's, different belief systems that has a word for that, what, what goes around, comes around. Am I getting that right? Or is it what comes around, goes around? That's that's the word karma, right? This belief that if if I do good, then good is going to come back to me. And if I do bad, then bad is going to come back to me. That, that somehow the, so the supernatural realm is going to cause what I do to come back to me. And sometimes Christians can turn that into some kind of Christianized form of karma and say, if I do bad, then I have to worry that God is going to get even with me or God's going to be angry with me and cause something bad to happen to me. There's no room for karma in our Christian belief, our understanding of God and how God relates to us. There's no room for that. And you'll hear that sometimes. You'll hear people talk, oh yeah, I believe in karma. There's no room for this this belief that if I do something bad, God's going to be angry and is going to get back at me by bringing uh, suffering to my life. Why? Because the gospel is that when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, your slate is wiped clean, and it stays clean day after day. You have a perfectly clean slate with God. That's the gospel of the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. But that's not all of the gospel. There's something very important that goes along with that. And that's the third thing we said about the gospel, that you can repent and receive new life. See, over and over and over again, check the scriptures, over and over again, we will see repentance um, and forgiveness going hand in hand. So let me read you something from the Gospel of Luke, the very last chapter, Luke 24. This describes Jesus' last conversation with the disciples before he ascends into heaven. So you think he's going to be saying some important things to them. And he does. Uh, Here's what he says. Uh, Verse 45 says, Then he, Jesus, opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. Now, what does it mean by the Scriptures there? It means their sacred text, so at this time that would be the Old Testament, right? So Jesus is opening their minds so they can understand the Old Testament. What we understand is the Old Testament. Um, He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead, and on the third day... Uh, from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. Now, when it says that this is what is written, it wasn't like Jesus was... It's not like you can find that exact quotation in the the Old Testament, because it's not. It's not there. Instead, Jesus is pulling from all of the Old Testament sacred texts, the sacred scriptures, and saying, this is what it's all about. And he opened their minds so that they could understand their sacred scriptures and that their... Religious texts all pointed to that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. That's the gospel. The gospel will be proclaimed. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Um, over and over again in the Scriptures, repentance leads to the forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight. I'm going to go through a few of these from Acts. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts chapter three, verse nineteen. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins, so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts 5, verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And we see this over and over again. Now, the reason why I put these scriptures up is because we might not like the idea of repentance and forgiveness going hand in hand. I mean, do you like that? Does that, does that come across as... How does that come across? like something you need to do? It's interesting, you know, those of us who um, are, are very sensitive to the idea of being saved by God's grace alone, not through works, might this might rub us the wrong way. Both Martin Luther, both John Calvin said, yeah, repentance is necessary for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance isn't a work. A work is something that you do to show God, I'm worthy of this forgiveness that you're giving me, this grace that you're showing. Repentance is showing God I'm empty. <laughs> I have nothing to offer God. I'm repenting. Sometimes we can, this idea of repentance and forgiveness going hand in hand can be, I'm mean, not threatening, but it just seems like, ah. Oh, Maybe there's something in my life that I don't want to repent of. Um, But repentance is a part of the gospel. Where do we see repentance in, in Acts chapter 14? Look at verse 15. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Turn from these worthless things where you don't really receive life, to the living God where there is life. And then look at verse 17. Paul talks about who the living God is. This is is a great verse. This living God has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons, and he provides you with plenty of food. And what does he do? He fills your hearts with, with joy. With joy. So the gospel is not uh, you have to repent. I mean, You do need to repent, right?
1: But it's not you have
0: to repent. It is you get to repent. You're able to repent. You get to repent to the God who is kind and generous and who provides for you and who gives your heart joy. You get to repent. That's the gospel. It's not negative at all, is it? I mean, repentance is just turning away from this empty life and turning to the fulfilling life that God can give you. Now, your life may or may not seem empty right now; it may not. I mean, if you have a fulfilling career, you make a great income, you have a lot of good stuff. You know, you you might think, "Hey, my life feels kind of full right now," but sooner or later, that comes to an end. Sooner or later, the, the returns on that keep diminishing. And you realize, I need something more. Sooner or later, that comes to an end. The gospel is that there's a living God who that you can know who is good and generous and gives you joy that never ends. So let me ask you this morning how are you inspired by the gospel? Is it inspiring to you, or is it more just kind of information to you? I hope it 's inspiring here 's a few thoughts on how you may be inspired by the gospel. One, you may be inspired to repent to to turn to God. maybe you 've never really done that before. Just give your heart and say, "God, I want to leave things that i they may seem full, but I know sooner or later the, the the returns I get from this is going to diminish and diminish and diminish, and it's going to leave me empty, and i want to turn to you, the living God. Maybe you've never done that before, and you can do that right now. So maybe that's one way that the gospel inspires you. Or maybe you are inspired to think about repentance a little bit differently. Uh, maybe there's a sin that you know that you need to repent from, and, and it's hard. Or maybe it's an attitude that you have um, that you need to turn from. Maybe you are full of worry and it's draining you. And you need to be reminded that God is good and he will provide what you need so that you don't need to be worried. Maybe that's an attitude that you have to turn away from. Maybe um, the gospel will inspire you to... um, and, and free you up to kind of live, live a generous life, not just with money, but with your time. You know, I, I don't have to make my life all about me. I can, I can give. I can give of myself for others. Maybe you are inspired to share the gospel. You know, if you know someone who is struggling with that empty life, and they are down, you can share with them the living God who promises to be with them. If the gospel isn't inspiring you in some way, you probably haven't grasped just the, the whole fullness of the gospel. One thing is sure, the gospel inspires us to live a different way, but it might not be an easy way. It might not be the easy way, and you know, this story that we read ends up with Paul getting beaten almost nearly to the point of death. At least people thought he was, he was dead. Uh, the gospel doesn't necessarily lead us down the easy path. Paul and Barnabas shared the gospel. They were beaten up. Christianity moves you to give of yourself because you're living for something greater. And sometimes that's not easy. A few verses later, here's what Paul tells Christians. He encourages them. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 22, Paul says, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The gospel inspires us to do hard things, to give of ourselves, to change maybe that hard habit in your life instead of just coasting with it. The gospel inspires us to speak more to others about our faith in Jesus Christ. And if you ever get discouraged and resistant to that, I want you to think of this, this statement. Just keep it in your mind. Hard with God is better than easy alone. Just keep that in mind. Whenever life seems hard and you want to quit, think, hard with God is better than easy alone. You can try to make life easy by living without your own kind of personal cross. I like what uh, the Puritan Thomas Watson said. He said, Christ died to take away the curse from us yet not to take away the cross from us. So we have this cross of turning to the Lord and living for him and giving of ourselves. And you can try to make your life primarily about yourself, your plans, or you can turn to the living God and say, I'm with you no matter what, because hard with you, God, is better than easy alone. Think of what Peter said. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You, you have the words of eternal life, and we're staying with you, Lord, and we're living for you because your gospel inspires us to turn to you. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that we live in your kingdom, that you are king, and that you are here, and that you're good, and you call us to turn, to turn to you, to live differently, to live anew for you, to um, to share our faith, to talk about your love, to give of ourselves, to remember that life doesn't consist of an abundance of possessions. It Consist of our life with you. And we want to respond to your gospel this morning. We want to listen to your voice. Speaking words of encouragement to us. We want to be reminded that you're always with us. Um, And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his love and his sacrifice. In his name we pray. Amen. ask that you stand now, and um, we're going to worship together in response.